Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trab. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of seeking deep under the sea to find out what terrors dwell within and realizing that your umbilical cord is only enough to get you to the bottom of the pool. Oh, release the <laughs> Kraken! <laughs> We're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. This is a follow-up to our earlier podcast where we talked about Bureau 13 and adventures that could take place underwater, especially under the sea. So we talked an awful lot about the various kinds of adventures, but we really didn't get into the... I don't want to use the word nitty-gritty because that's not what we're really about. At least I'm not. How are going to go about doing it? Yeah. Well, you know, something about the tech and about maybe some strategies about doing things like that. You have joined the most secret government agency that you have never heard of. The 13th Bureau of Justice, otherwise known as Bureau 13. You are a government agent charged with the duty of disposing of the greatest unnatural threats to the people and the, and the economy of the United States and Canada. You will work under the knowledge that you are funded by an organization so secret, even the highest government officials do not know of your existence. Welcome to the elite band of people who wander the dark streets of the night, ever searching for the horrors that should not exist in this modern age. You are a special agent, stalking the night fantastic. Bureau 13 is a Gen Con award-winning RPG of modern horror and paranormal adventure. It's available from Tritech Games at TritechGames.com in both the original editions and in the D20 edition, with a new Savage Worlds edition coming soon. Remember that wherever the supernatural waits, good and evil, the agents of Bureau 13 will be there. But the evil is growing. You're going down 3,000 feet. Okay, that's 100 more. That's 100 atmospheres, which is more than enough to to squash anything. To, you know, anything, yeah. So you have to deal with it. Um, but if you if you're going to have adventures that actually take place on the on the bottom of the ocean, just the floor of the ocean, not the Marianas Trench, that's the kind of depths you're going to have to deal with because it's like two, it's it's um it's about two miles down on the average, I think, to the bottom of the ocean. So that's you know that's ten thousand feet. I would say I would say a lot of stuff taking place in the continental shelf, 
uh, around the United States and the continental shelf. I'm looking at right now. Can I spend, can I spell continental (laughs) shelf? There we go. Well, I mean, the Bureau, nine times out of ten, they're only going to... What is the international limit for the U.S., the the international... There's like three. There's like three, uh, Trav. There's There's the actual distance... There's the political distance, and there's the t- the trade distance. Okay, so yeah, it's but it's Bureau Thirteen, so it's whatever they feel is necessary. Yeah, and for, for this, you know, the the continental shelf is on average about five hundred feet deep. So you, yeah, so you're really you know since that's where a lot of the stuff's going to take. I would say a lot of adventures will take place in that area. You know, you really go out in the deep waters when you really have to actually leave. The 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 uh, territorial worlds, which is twenty four miles, uh, and get in out in the other out in the other areas. But yeah, yeah, it's international waters. As long as you got a good reason, hey, don't worry about it. Yeah, I, I suggest <laughs> going out underwater, out out into international waters a lot because one, we're secret. Mm-hmm. The government. Yeah. You know, it, it's like, oh, we found this American sub. Really? The United States government would be like, we don't know about them. So I see us going out into international waters a lot. So actually, distances that Bruce mentioned really don't matter to Bureau 13. Pretty much we're going to operate anywhere in the world in order to preserve yeah. American supernatural interests. So, yeah, yeah I, I see us having to have the long-term survivability because, and I'm going to use this series, The a lot of times they're going to be going around in subs under the oceans like Sequest, where just it's going to be, Team Nemo might have that one sub that has been all over the world because it's had to. Mm-hmm. International waters really don't mean anything to the Bureau team. And because we have these various treaties with all the other what is it? Supernatural agencies. Well, of course, the farm were practically one agency, anyways, from what I gather, because the the farm and the bureau trade off people all the time. But yeah. like the league in Africa, um, the one in Japan, um, trying to recall, there was another one. Well, I mean, Russia and France all have them. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to be dealing with their whatever underwater chapters they have often in cooperative efforts. Mm-hmm. If only, oh, yeah. if only because the, I'm, I'm probably going to imagine that Bureau 13 team Nemo is probably the largest maritime. That's the word I'm looking for. We maritime nations. Yeah. We effectively have probably the largest maritime anti-supernatural force in the world. I would, I would just, and I'm not being um, ethnocentric here. The Bureau has had 150 years to perfect their technology and their magic to do this. Mm. Yes, the Bureau is not a big group, but still, we're going to have a decent-sized underwater contingent. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of times where other supernatural themed agencies either governmental or private or religious because i think there's a few of them that are like orders of monks they're going to call on the bureau just because 
this is a problem. We need big guns. Hey, look over there. There's the Bureau. And, and also, the, the Bureau in the United States, of course, they are the ones that have the link to IDET, and IDET has tech. And IDEC, and IDEC can bring through a lot of tech when it's needed. Yeah, and a lot of the weird science tech works in, in the Bureau 13 universe. So they can bring this stuff that doesn't work on Earth, on Earth Prime, but it works really well on Bureau 13 universe. So, right. yeah. And they, and they have other uh, you know, weird tech uh, worlds that they can draw that tech from. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh God, yeah. Oh, but, oh, no, you know she's file. She's got a file on, oh, we need this? Well, let me, you know, we're going to need this. Well, okay, we have this. I mean, granted, time will be the problem, but I'm sure that Colonel Talbot has offered suggestions on, well, we could do this, or you see that this might be a problem. Let me make some quote-unquote phone calls, and I'll get back to you. So, yeah, oh, I, mean, yeah, I know that Colonel Talbot's probably got a whole bag of tricks for um, interacting in underwater environment, considering that mo- a lot of Earths out there are water worlds. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's – yeah. It, how, uh, was, I just was watching an um, uh, um, uh, anime that takes place on an on a Earth that basically is a water world, but they also have all these, uh, well, super high-tech high – Submersibles as well. Uh, like, would that oh, be Garga- John? Would that be Gargantia, Gargantia on the Virgerous Planet? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> now, I've seen up to episode seven. That's pretty good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's definitely worlds out there they can get you know tech that. Yeah, no problem. They also you know there's at least at least one world there where they go. Yeah, okay, you need you need a submersible. So up come these three um, teenage Japanese girls wearing guns and. Torpedoes and undersized and masks, and going, Where's the Marines? And they are. <laughs> it's, it is a, it, there's a world there where, where, some, where, where, where uh, if they're properly scaled, they probably would be, they would be gi- gi- gigantic, but they're, anim- they're girls. John, if we're talking this, just one word I want to go underwater <laughs> chamber. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yeah. You know what I talk about. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but yeah. And, it, and yeah, but so yeah, we, yeah, the bureaus. I mean, of course, there are. You know, I would say the Brits would say, "Yes, you you're very good with your seafaring, which we've been doing for far longer than you have." Well, uh, yeah, but that's <laughs> right. Victorian Earth has quote unquote. Atlantis. Oh no, I'm, ta- I'm yeah. talking. I'm talking the Brits on 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 European universe. You know, and you know, and the French go, well, but we had Ber- we had Verne. You know, you know, Vern worked for them. He just simply, you know, he was a dis- disinformation person. <laughs> yeah, so there was a, the, uh, Nemo. They're, they're named after a real person. <laughs> okay, so uh, going back to the getting back to the tech. Okay, so all right, so we have these underwater vessels that you know can can go around and support themselves for about a week. You know, even at the bottom of the ocean, and uh, so, what kind of weaponry do we think we'd put on these things? Um, blue green lasers, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, blue green lasers, <laughs> and you have to spear guns. You know, rocket. You know, rocket tip spear guns with explosive heads. <laughs> Harpoons also yeah. work quite well. <laughs> 
you know, torpedoes, obviously, you're going to want, you know. Yeah, mini-type torpedoes. And, yeah, at least there's at least one vessel out there. It's, it's an old... Uh, old Holland submarine that they've converted into a uh, a, a, war, a weapon of war, and it, and it can fire full size torpedoes if needed. <laughs> okay, we're also talking things that we are going to attack. Mm-hmm. Um, things that we're going to use to attack, like supernatural creatures that are bugging us. I would think ingest it, and I'm I'm probably going to come off as a bit of a jerk here. I don't know ingested neurotoxins that as soon as it gets in their gills it just messes them up yeah some type of thing that you know okay yeah it explodes and hits them and it goes right in the gills and they just eh. oh okay that's a good term well not even tear gas like um see i want to call it cmdb or something where they just like mm. because if we're trying to get rid of something we want to take it out quickly before it causes havoc. Because if it's that big where it's calling in the Bureau, it's going to be something like the Kraken. And we just want something that as soon as it gets in its in its system, it just drops them. Like some type of toxin. just And it mixes with water. Yeah, poison tip. Well, like in the um, movie um, uh, The Jaws, you know, they had that that uh, injector that, you know, uh, that they were just going to fill full poison and they were going to fire it throw it on the end of a, of a spear and just hit the shark and blow him full of poison. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we definitely will have, you know, various, you know, various Bane delivery systems. Like we said, the harpoons, the, the torpedoes turns out I just did a quick search, but guess what doesn't work in fish? Pepper spray. <laughs> it doesn't bother them at all. Cause it's it, it basically, cause it basically, it, it, they don't have the same receptors that we do. So yeah, hers is like all, all you're doing is seasoning it. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. You're gonna make you know, <laughs> have some Cajun, Cajun style fish when you're done. <laughs> you shot pepper spray at the ichthyoid. Great. All you did was season it for when we do kill it. You sick freak. <laughs> <laughs> what about Sonic? Get him away Ooh. from the gunnery console now. Never let him near armaments again. Yeah. Put him, was, in, put him in the galley. Yeah. Uh, Sonic. Uh, well, <laughs> let, hey, let's use what the several fish use. Electricity. Hey, electric eels, they use it and it works. You can stun them with electricity. If I'm in my sub and I'm and it's guy surrounded by non-conductive liquid, hit this thing with 10,000 volts and see how you like it. So, so you'd electrify the whole outside of the ship. Down. Yeah, yeah. Or being Barriet, I fire, I fire a a harpoon with a conductive cable onto it, onto yeah. a location, and then then lay it up. That will cause a current flow in the water at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, salt water will conduct current. There's no question of that. Uh, and and as a matter of fact, if you did have um, uh, an issue with that, uh, you might have some. What you could do is that you, you could create some kind of a water shield around you where you actually exude out uh, pure water around yourself, and that would provide an insulator against the electricity, and then you could go ahead and do that. I even thought in terms of, hey, what if they had the equivalent of a, um, a electrical, like an air elemental electrical monster underwater? And I said, well, okay, let's assume that you have this mass of water that's highly electrified, but you don't. But it's going to die if 
if it goes and it's, it's in contact with the rest of the water. So it, as part of its supernatural physiology, it also has the means to, you know, to exude pure water around itself. And that allows it to remain insulated from the rest of the ocean and keep that charge so that when it does go and like poke through that, it can zap things around it. So you could have some kind of electrical creature that lives underwater that that still manages to do that. Or you could do what John's talking about where you have uh, it biologically generated inside of a body and just zap it out. What's the range on electrical? How far do you think we could actually make this thing work? Well, no, Bruce, you brought up something about putting up a water shield against electricity, but it was pure water. Yeah, because pure water won't conduct. Well, what is it then? What is it then that makes water so conductive for electricity? The salt. It's It's the the salt in the salt water. Yeah. That's why even if there's something in the tub that cause it, yeah, only it's only set up when somebody steps in the tub because it's the salt in the body that affects it. Ah, okay. And when lightning strikes strikes a lake, it's not going in the water. It's going on the surface of the water. Ah. You, if you're if you're not if you're not trying to just, if you're trying to take them out, I mean, kill them. One thought is a potion of air breathing, but it also means you can't breathe water while it's in an effect. Well, you hit, you hit him with you hit him with these little capsules. It doesn't have to last long. It just has to last long enough. For them to drown. Basically drowning yeah. in their own element, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about uh, uh, metallic sodium? Um, uh, Potassium. Uh, well, yeah, all those ones with, like, shells. Um, I know you can't fire bullets very far, but I'm just saying, like, your little mini torpedoes. What if it's, uh, What if you had where, you, where it, it reacts with water because it's a metallic uh, metal? a uh, metallic sodium or metallic potassium. Yeah, and you just basically just jab... Well, uh, magnesium doesn't do that. But you just jab it into you know into a creature and it, it's, it gets inside and it literally just burns the map from the inside. You get, you know, you get what you were talking about. You get, you get your seasoned fish because <laughs> it basically cooks from the inside out. In the inside, so, it's cooking them as well. Yeah, then you add the yeah. pepper spray. Yeah, yeah so sodi- you know, sodium, potassium, cesium, all, of them, all these... React and as you get in the higher atomic numbers, they react really well. In fact, I think cesium would, is unfortunately is radioactive, but uh, think but but potassium bullets would. Uh, in fact, I saw a guy do a, a video, a YouTube video, where he basically made um, liquid metal bullets. Basically, it contained potassium inside a hollow point bullet, and he shot a watermelon. It exploded. <laughs> So I can imagine putting a reactive metal into these torpedo mini torpedoes and hitting something, and yeah, it's going to react, and boom. Yeah, we're, we're talking about things that might, you know, uh, uh, unlike what we could do in real life. Under, you know, if you've seen the movie Runaway, where the guy had the bullets that actually could chase people around underwater, that actually makes sense because things can't move as fast as they can in the air. So there's t- and and they're moving against a medium that's so resistant that you can use that to di- you know to 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 divert your path as you wish. You know, with with many fins and stuff like that. So you have these tiny torpedoes 
that are rocket powered or whatever you want to use. And they could have these, these uh, so they're moving instead of like uh, a couple thousand um, uh, feet per second, they're only moving a couple hundred feet per second. But still, that's awfully darn fast underwater. And you'd, you'd be able to have these little things do that. And you actually could have a gun that actually fired these things. And it would be pretty darn cool, I would think. I'd say it's during World War II, the Germans did have wire-guided torpedoes. <laughs> yeah, and the metals we're talking about is lithium, sodium, potassium, rubidium, cesium, and francium. Uh, I would say uh, either sodium or potassium bullets or potassium loads in your Bane, rock, Bane torpedoes would be the best, best choice. It's starting to sound like a Tom Lehrer song. Yeah, <laughs> I would think that sodium would probably be the best choice, only because at at the end of it you end up with sodium, which is already in the water, so it's not that big of a deal. You know, you end up uh, and, and it becomes environmentally friendly. Well, it, there's also potassium in the water too, but either one of those would be just fine. Potassium is more reactive than sodium. Okay, well then, fine. Use potassium. After all, we're we're creating a weapon here, aren't we? <laughs> so. All right, so we we have that we you know we have the thing that like you say the the ma- the magic thing that'll make somebody all of a sudden not be able to breathe water and that incapacitates them possibly a neural toxin that can incapacitate electricity that can incapacitate or kill them of course all these things it's a matter of degree or kill them and you're talking about sonic and sonic weapons would work also I mean that's and, and um I think dolphins use this but they use it up close on fish they can actually hit them with a sound with a sound beam to sort of stun them well usually they hit them with their noses but okay maybe, maybe I've never heard of that but okay but there certainly could be creatures underwater that can do that, especially in the Bureau 13 universe. You know, that may be exactly what they do. They swim up to a boat and they use that sawing thing to stove in the hull of a boat, which isn't designed for that kind of a pressure. And that's how, and then the boat sinks and, and they get to have dinner. Because, because human beings are a lot less, I don't know if you've ever um, watched fish um, at like a coral reef or someplace like that. These guys are amazing. They are literally microseconds from being eaten. They're swimming around, eating their little food or whatever, and there's another fish trying to eat them the entire time, and they just barely swim under this or just barely swim under that or in this hole or that. It's a dance of death. So feeding, if you're a fish, aquatic-type creature, feeding yourself, unless you're literally grazing on on, uh, underwater plants, is a lot of work all the time. Human beings, man, you toss, you get them under the water and they just go limp. And they're easy to eat after that. <laughs> I can see where we would be very desirable, you know, and, and those big cruise ships, holy cow, that's like a kegger and a half. Well, all you need is a bunch of, bunch of gillmen looking for a date and hey, there you go, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just, just jumping up on the, on the ships at night and just taking their crews just because you're hungry. I mean, you know, it, it's morally, of course, bankrupt, you know, but it's still, I'm saying is that human beings are lousy. Lousy underwater. Why well, It was a craze for a while. There was this uh, fish that would eat dead skin. So there were uh, spas that you put your feet in these ponds, and the fish would eat all the skin off your feet, all the dead skin off your feet. Sounds wonderful, especially for people who have lots and lots of calluses. 
Yeah, but it, then, but of course, the problem there is that it means also whatever else is on your feet in terms of diseases and so forth also gets spread to the fish. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, sir. But the point is, it's going to be in the water. So yeah, you definitely want. You have to have some kind. They would have to clean that water that the fish are in. Uh, uh, hopefully. On a regular basis, hopefully. I don't know. I mean, you never... I mean, those uh, those spas where they do the mud stuff, I'm like, who's been in that mud before you? Lots of people. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, so let's talk about the, you know, how hostile this environment is under the... Uh, we really didn't talk about that, okay? So, of course, we did talk about the pressure in the bends, all right? Um uh, you should know that the water temperature at the bottom of the ocean is just like four degrees Celsius. It's just above freezing. Okay, so it's cold down there, and water it really saps heat from things that are you know like to be up around our ninety eight point six. Holy cow! You know we're we're not we're not well suited for it and most creatures that live in the water that are big you know that are mammals uh they have huge layers of blubber to protect themselves from the cold uh the whales have the hottest blood of any animal in the world which makes sense because they spend all their time in really cold water yeah yeah well, even at even at some great depths, the temperature actually is below freezing. But because of the pressure, the water can't freeze. But but I know that I know that at the bottom of the ocean, the temperature is approximately four degrees Celsius. Unless you crush you by a black smoker, then it's bo- above boiling. Well, yeah, okay. There are volcanic regions and the bottom of the ocean too. So yes, those places, you know, you might actually have a spot somewhere between, you know, there and, and the ocean, you know, the rest of the ocean where it might actually be comfortable. Uh, I mean, and that and that would be a great place, I guess, to especially if you're by like as you called it a black smoker, and by that I, I assume you mean there's black smoke going up into the water. Yeah, it's it's highly sulfonated. Um Basically, it, basically, it's a volcanic vent, and it's, it's dumping highly sulfuric uh, gases into the water, and supports a surprising amount of life. Right, and that would be a great place to have an evil overlord submarine base because it has the heat, which can drive power. So you have your power source, you know. And if you played the game um, uh, uh, Bio uh, Bioshock with Rapture, that was their idea. They basically put themselves next to a volcanic vent and use the heat from that to drive their generators, provide power for their city. So even even uh, 20, 30 years after the place has fallen apart, those things are still running, providing power. So you could have that sort of thing going down there. You've got enough warmth that uh, you know things are, things may be growing that you can harvest for food. It's certainly you know, you, know, you have to worry too much about you know the the temperature. Uh, it's providing lots and lots of cover uh, to uh, uh, keep people from seeing you because of the thermals that are rising that'll block uh, any kind of, uh, of, of radar or sonar or any of those kinds of things. It's like the perfect place to have a secret submarine base would be like right next to one of those things. Now, one of my things is murky. Okay, the ocean except in places like the Bahamas and certain places, is filled with stuff. Stuff that's floating around. I mean, some of it's living, a lot of it's just debris. And it goes down to all the way to the bottom. So, 
you know, most of the time you're going to be, if you're using any kind of a, uh, if you want to know what's going on around you, you're going to have to use some kind of augmented vision. Uh, it, it may not be pure uh, virtual reality. It could be augmented reality where you look around, but you still see stuff that's been computer generated in your vision saying, okay, out there beyond what you can see is a fish and it's this kind of a fish and other things. So being surrounded by augmented reality in these kinds of sea, uh, uh, submarines and diving suits and things like that would make perfect sense for a bureau agent under the ocean. There are also areas where the water is incredibly clear too, but yeah, for the most part, it's a lot. Of, it's it's a lot of dead dead things, dead dead diatoms, dead algae, and a lot of fish poop. Everything that lives at the very bottom of the ocean basically is living off of the debris, the detritus that uh, you know, or poop, as John puts it, that has fallen from the surface. Okay, it is also, however, the home for um, the the giant the the uh, giant squids. They live in down that in that level. Because they're filter feeders. Yep. And well, they also don't mind a little bit of whale, too. Because a lot of blue whales, which are the deepest diving whales out there, have scars from their encounters with the giant squids. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Right. So, for, unfortunately, you know, or fortunately, unfortunately, those creatures, they don't have big brains in them. So, they don't have to have much in the way of metabolisms. So they, they actually can live off of detritus and things like that. We humans, because we need uh, we have our big brains and we have our you know a lot of sugar that needs to be in our system to keep all that going, we have a fairly high metabolistic requirements for our size. So we would be one of those guys, we would be predators. We would be carnivores. I mean, because that's the only way to get the meat, the, the protein and the calories that we need. You know, only I mean you know, whales, okay, they can do it because they, they go places where there's, you know, stuff that they can harvest. But they have these humongous mouths that they filter that stuff out and swallow it. So they're basically like giant sea cows. You know, they're, they're basically harvesting it. But we're not. We're small. You know, our mouths are very small compared to our rest of our bodies, no matter how loud we seem to be. And so we need a, a nice concentrated food source. So we would... So creatures that are like us, intelligent creatures primarily, creatures our size, mermen, whatever we want to think about that, supernatural creatures, they're going to be eating food. Probably they're going to be carnivores. They're going to have to have some kind of a place where they can eat. Now, you know, when you get down to the lower depths, I'm not sure what the actual depth is, there is no visible light down there unless it's being generated by something else. Light from the... How far down is that, John? 200 meters. Okay, so that's 600 feet, essentially. All right, so that that's that's the worst. Okay, down there, everything is blue, okay? But, I mean, but really growing stuff, that only happens within, like, the first 100 feet at the most. So if you're getting, you know, if things are growing down there, they're growing because they're, they're a volcanic or it's, there's something else they're growing off of, okay? Maybe there's a supernatural field that somehow is inducing the equivalent of sunshine. I mean, to these plants. Maybe these plants grow off of psychic energy. I mean, there's got to be some kind of ecology down there at the bottom of the ocean if you're going to have things living down there, especially civilizations living down there. I mean, if it's, if it, if it's uh, um, anaerobic... 
methane sinks, you know, frozen methane sinks down there would be a great source of food for anaerobic bacteria. And then the other things feed in the anaerobic bacteria and they get bigger and bigger. I mean, that's what's happening around the, the black smokers is that there's plankton, there's uh, plankton and other things that live off the of sulfur that they're then eaten by uh, wor- these worms and eaten by uh, shell by shellfish. Uh, you know, they all are surviving off of this sulfur sulfur cycle instead of a um, uh, ox- uh, you know a um, photosynthesis cycle as we do up to the surface. Okay, so but ultimately we can expect if we go down under the ocean to any great depths that any life that we find down there is going to be carnivorous. You know that th- we have to deal with. Okay, so, you know, it's either going to be something that produces an electrical charge that kills its prey and which it then can go and just, you know, pull into itself and eat, you know, like a like a a, a, a like a snake does. Okay, or it's going to have big teeth, you know, to to rend things apart and claws. I mean, it could take any form it wants to because you don't have to have bilateral symmetry down there. You know, I mean, you're literally in, in, in a weightless condition. So, but, it, you know, we can, we can, you know, there could be giant dinosaurs down there. But the point is they're going to be eating animals. And that means they're going to be moving pretty fast or, you know, uh, or there's going to be a lot of, of plants. For, like I say, it's going to have to be a rich environment for some reason. Either it's supernaturally there because of magic you know, and it's it's just suffers just growing down there. You know, because it's right off of a ley line and it's powering the the growth of underwater creatures, and so you can have a civilization down there. But the people on the surface, they can have no idea that's down there because they're not going to be able to see it. It's not you know, there's there's no light down there, and sonar just gets damped out because you know of of. Uh, you know, uh, of the depths. I mean, they do have, you know, these things that can go and map the ocean bottom and they, and they're, you're used by, uh, oil companies and such because they're trying to find places that look good for doing oil, you know, uh, mining and such. But the point still is, is that they're most of the, the underwater, the ocean is so vast that you, that you could have all these places and nobody has ever found them. They're just there. And, and they could have their own protections against the surface dwellers. They could have magic that reflects back any kind of a uh, of a sonic or whatever with an appropriately bumpy, you know, bottom appearance to it. Um, and because they like say they're not using light to do it, so it doesn't even have to look. You know, they, it doesn't even obscure their own vision. It just has to obscure sonic types of stuff, whatever we're using to kind of detect stuff. Uh, they could be there could be thick creatures living inside of subterranean caves down there because you know far enough down that they're getting some heat from volcanism. Again, it's the same thing with you talk about underground civilizations. You got you know as long as you got enough heat for things to grow, then you've got fungus. You've got you know pl- plants that grow off of that. You know you you can have a whole you know ecosystem operating under there. The air amount of air in the water as you go down gets less, but that's in a realistic world. You know, if you're talking about magical environment, I'm sure they have something that keeps lots of oxygen in that water as well. Oh, yeah. I also imagine that, uh, and we're talking this is the deep sea environment. 
you, totally different thing like for the Great Lakes. Great Lakes are freshwater. So the and then for the most part fairly murky and it's even more murky I think than the because of all the uh, silting from the from the various rivers that feed into them. Yeah. So and and some of them are actually quite deep. Uh, lake Superior is one of the deepest freshwater lakes. I think only I think Lake it is the I John I think Lake Superior is the deepest freshwater body mm-hmm. on the planet. Yeah, so yeah, they, they, they you have the same problems. They only it's not all freshwater, so you're gonna have some different things, and and also we're talking Native American spirits living down there too, and various things. So, uh, but yeah, and, and it does get cold, and yeah, it gets cold there too. And and uh, if you're out there in the winter, in fact, that's actually something you can consider. Uh, even even with the temperature going up, it still freezes over in places. Oh no, and, uh, uh, John, my well, mine and Pixie's co-host on our show. Mm-hmm. Walks with Silent Feet spent two years, I think, at Lake Superior State, which is up in the UP, going yeah. for a geology degree. That water, she told me, was ice cold even in the summer. Well, I'm talking about, you know, we're talking all this when you have nice open water. What do you do when it gets frozen over like it does do sometimes? You know, I mean, it, it, it was it, when I was a kid. It was notorious in the thumb, in the thumb region, in uh, in the what was that bay? What's the bay called there? Where, where the thumb is Saginaw Bay. Saginaw Bay. It freezes over completely. It freezes so thick, it'd be like two or three feet thick, and people would drive out there and set up their fishing huts and go and go fishing in the lake. Oh no, you know, I don't. Yeah, remember, I'm I'm a native here too. Yeah, the ice yeah. fishing. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite po- in the Great Lakes. You have the problem of the lakes. F- in various areas freezing over. And now you basically, we had to get to the surface. Where are we? Oh, uh, you know, a thousand feet plus two feet. And that two feet solid ice. <laughs> so that's thing, you know, but in that, you know, we're talking bureau. I, I got remember, a tennis. Water freezes, it expands. So, yeah. yeah. And being a bureau agent, they got the, at least, they, the, you know, you got your tennis shoes. You always bring a tennis shoe with you. So you can stick it on the ice and blow a hole through it. If you have to get out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry about that. My, ugh, excuse me a second. I have to cough. There we go. I didn't cough on the phone, on the, on the speaker. Yeah, freshwater will have its own issues. And and you, and you there's, there's a lot of life there. In fact, there's probably a lot of, a lot of life because they're being fed from the rivers. And we haven't even touched on the rivers. You know, the Mississippi, the Columbia, uh, the Ohio, all the, you know, the Hudson, all these rivers also have their share of uh, trouble and problems. Right. But they're still going to be following the same kind of stuff we talked about for like the relatively shallow depths around the continental shelf. Yeah. And in fact, most rivers are not going to be much more than what, 50 feet, 60 feet deep in some cases. Yeah. Even though the Mississippi, Mississippi, even though the Mississippi may be a mile wide, it may only be like about 50 feet deep. Well, yeah, remember um, Mark Twain, when he was, you know, Sam Clemens, when he was a riverboat captain on the Mississippi, he, okay, Mississippi riverboat captains, because they went up and down the same route all the time, effectively. They got to know where every sandbar and every shoal and every, you know, deep part they knew that stuff like the back of their hand because they had to. There's nothing more embarrassing than being a riverboat captain and all of a sudden you hit something because you didn't realize it was there, the same route that you travel all the time. The, they, oh, yeah. These captains knew every inch of that river bottom. 
where to go, where not to go. But oh, yes, yeah. parts were really, really deep, and others they just navigated around to get through it. So, yeah, or certain times of year, you're not going down that branch of the river. Yeah, not, not yeah. that boat anyway. Right, and and of course, you know, rivers are notoriously far more murky, you know, because of, of all that silt you talked about, all the runoff. So, you know, e- even ten feet under the under the water, most of the time, you can't even see what's there. So you can have all kinds of critter, critters that are under there that, you know, are literally, they're, they're looking up. They can't see you. You can't see them. You know, they're, they're, they're living their, a separate life because they just happen to be there. And only when people do things like, you know, make motorboats roaring up next to them or somehow, you know, hook somebody, you know, their, their, their offspring and start dragging it out of the water that all of a sudden <laughs> somebody jumps up there and you, you see this big fishy arm come up out, out of it and, and, and flip the boat over. And then you hear some story about strange, you know, uh, fishmen in the water of the Punxsutawney. Yeah, I actually met the lake I grew up on. Um, we had we had the we had the giant snapping turtle, and the thing is, you every so often you look down and you see this round silhouette with at least three or four fishing lines streaming off of it, f- swinging underneath you. And I would swear that thing was at least three feet across. You know, I mean, imagine a snapping turtle three feet across because those necks, snapping turtle necks, can really stretch. So that thing could probably reach about two foot reach on it. On top of that, <laughs> I wouldn't want to get bit by that sucker and pulled under the water. <laughs> but but going back to our hostile environment, um, okay, there's not. Uh, we, he says underwater volcanism is much more dangerous than surface volcanism because the hot goes up. So anything above it to you know, until the water can mix enough with the surrounding water is going to cook. Because of that, it's uh, uh, it, it's the same thing. Is it you know you you're, you're going oh it's fine it's fine and all of a sudden you know if there's a vent of pressure or something like that all of a sudden you've got a you've got a wave of of, of hot water coming at you and you know, you can't move as quickly as you can on the surface. So it's, it, it's sometimes these kinds of things that literally surprise you and so you got to be careful about it. It's also it's also less dense. So the ch- you know, so if it's, if it's a big enough vent and a big enough column of hot water coming up, it is less dense than the water around it because of the heat it's pushing out, and you hit that second, you, you'll drop when you go into it, and then start coming up. Okay, it's also one reason why it rises so quickly. Right. So um, uh, explosions are far, far, far more dangerous underwater than they are on the surface because the air, you know, it compresses, but it's uh, uh, and what and water does not. So if the uh, but it, the water is also heavier, harder to move. But if it gets moved. All right. Then it's going to first of all, it's going to conduct that shock wave a lot further than it would happen on the surface. So if you set off an, uh, off a grenade a uh, hundred feet away from you, you know you're probably still within the bl- uh, in the blast, not the shrapnel, but the blast radius of that thing. And so you got to be a lot more. You, can't, you, know, you, you these guys that are all experts in demolitions on the surface, they get underwater and it's like, oh, okay, this is a whole new place for you. You got to watch yourself, and uh, you need to back like four times, at least four times as far back than you normally would be. That also means that you could, yeah. 
that also means your explosive bullets or things like that are going to be more effective too. So, you know, the, again, we keep talking about these little micro-missiles and stuff like that. They, they might have little explosive tips on them that have the same power as a larger shell on the surface because that shock wave is going to, you know, hit, you know, move out away from everything around it. And it's, it's going to transmit that, uh, that power, uh, that, uh, that explosive power further than it would if it was on the surface. Yeah. I mean, if you, just, if you want to see what it does, just, you know, Google Mythbusters underwater explosions. You'll get everything you ever wanted to see about underwater explosions. Oh, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that they did that. But like you were, yeah, but like you were talking about how that watermelon exploded. That's one of the reasons why the watermelon explodes is because it's, it, it's, you know, it has a lot of liquid in it and that liquid has to move away and it just shatters everything around it. So just keep that in mind that you need to be far away from explosions when they go off. And if someone ever says, oh, we'll just set off a nuke and it'll be fine because, you know, it's like three miles down and, and you know, we'll, we'll be like a mile away from it. Run. Well, first of all, kill them. Kill them right there on the spot so their finger can't get anywhere near that button, okay? And if you can't stop it, run like, get to the surface as fast as you can, even if you take the bends, because on the surface is so much safer than being underwater when that thing goes off. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's actually one of the, you were talking about volcanoes. Uh, when we actually had, a couple of years ago, we actually had an eruption nearby of a new volcano out under the water. And it just devastated the area because it was an eruption. It wasn't a nice little flow. It was a boom eruption. It actually was like a, a, a Richter, Richter 5 or something like that. It was a really big explosion. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you know, basically, because we're in an area where the where the uh, the magma has a lot of gas in it, so when it comes up, it'll come out, even you know, uh, and it will cause explosions, and it it just devastates the area. Yeah, unlike the uh, the volcanoes of the Hawaii, which are not so gassy. They're, they're, there's no gas in them whatsoever. That's why they flow and they make the, 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 the and they're not as dangerous as the um, volcanoes near uh, subduction zones. Like you know Mount St Helens, <laughs> and the, you know and the underwater seas, and and I, I you know and talking about that underwater seas, the other place you have to worry about because it, it it's going to be slow, but it's still an interesting place are the uh, the ridges, the continent, the plate the plate boundaries, the underwater ridges where the continents are pulling apart and up come is up welling magma. Uh, we've never you know this is occurred this being. A uh, Bureau thirteen and you know more of a story verse than a rea- rea- reality verse. That means yeah, you go down there and there is a you, you can tell you're getting close because it's getting bright because of the magma welling up from the continents coming apart. <laughs> you know from the sea, the plate the continental the, the the tectonic plates separating at the mid ocean Atlantic Ridge. You know this is why Greenland is getting bigger every year. <laughs> Not that you can tell because it's basically capped with a big thing of ice. Yeah. yeah they, they did sonar on that in Greenland and basically, yeah, under that cap of ice, there's like a thousand little islands. It's just ice covering them all like a giant cupcake. Yeah, but the ice is gone. They don't. They actually won't be islands anymore because they'll come to the surface because it's being held down by the ice. Ah. Yeah. yeah, same thing for Antarctica. Antarctica would 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 go very t- would get very high if it didn't have all the ice on it. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. So um, 
Thanks, everybody, for listening to us talk about Undersea Adventures in Bureau 13. Uh, we, if you have some ideas of some tech we didn't talk about, we'd love to hear about it. Again, you know, when it comes to magic, I'm sure that you could come up with all kinds of interesting magical stuff that we could do to replace the, uh, the tech issues. But if you want to go straight tech, I mean, uh, uh, they have very high-level tech in Bureau 13, and so there's no reason why you can't have your really super high tech instead of your magic or with your magic. You can have it any way you want to in Bureau 13, and I hope you will make some adventures under the ocean or under a lake or someplace, especially under the ice during the wintertime, and really have some fun with this because it's a a totally different environment than where most Bureau 13 agents do their investigations and their eliminations, if that's what's going to be called for, and it will really challenge your players because they won't be used to this sort of thing and all the things that they have to think about. So try it, tell us how you like it, and we'll have more for you next week. But until then... This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.